This is case 41 from the Shoyoroku. Lupus last moments. The pointer. Sometimes out of loyalty, one drives oneself to unspeakable hardship. Sometimes when disaster befalls, other men fail to get the point. Humbly stooping down at the time of departure, his last moments are utterly kind. Tears flowing forth from his tender heart are still more difficult to hide. However, is there someone here with cool eyes? The main case. Attention. Lupu on his deathbed addressed the assembly saying, now I have one matter to ask you about. If you approve this, you are putting another head on top of your own head. If you disapprove this, you are seeking life by cutting off your head. Thereupon, the head monk said, The green mountain always raises its leg. In bright daylight, you do not raise a torch. Lupus scolded him. What occasion is this that you should say such a thing? Monk Genju stepped forward and said, Living aside these two roads, please, master, do not question. Lupo replied, Partly, but say some more. Genju admitted, I can't say it all. Lupo said, I don't care if you can say it all or not. <clears throat> Genju said, Being your attendant, Osho, it is hard for me to reply. When evening came, Lupus summoned the monk Genju and said, Your response today makes very good sense. You should experience what my late master said. Before the eyes, no dharma. Mind is before the eyes. This, it's not dharma before the eyes. It's something that the ear and eye cannot reach. Which phrase is guest? Which phrase is host? If you can make the distinction, I'll hand over the ball. Genju said, I don't know. Lupu said, you should know. And Genju said, I really don't know. And Lupu said, cuttingly, tough, isn't it? Tough. Isn't it? The monk said, Osho, how about you? Lupu answered, The boat of compassion is not rowed over pure waves. It's been wasted labor releasing wooden goose down the precipitous strait. The verse. With clouds as bait and moon as hook, he fishes in pure water. Burdened with years solitary and hard, and no fish yet. After the tune, Rizo dies away. On the river Bakila, a lone man awakens.
So spiritual paths vary in many ways. Some may put great emphasis on ancient scriptures or texts. Some may circle around a person who is considered as the mystical founder of the tradition and perhaps the one who is having direct connection with the source. And some more modern paths may look like an eclectic mishmash of different traditions without any specific clarity as to the inception of the path. In the case of the inception of our path, we can be traced to the day of the Buddha's enlightenment 2,500 years ago, which later evolved into a path and a tradition that was passed on from generation to generation in a very unique way known as Dharma transmission. So based on, on the story from the Buddhist tradition, the first Dharma transmission took place on Mount Gadagutta or Vulture Peak, which was popular, it still is a popular location these days, it was a popular location for the Buddha's followers to gather for his sermons. So one day, they all gathered for a sermon and the Buddha was supposed to give a talk. So he sat down and instead of giving a talk, he picked up a flower, held it up and twirled it. Everybody looked at him silently waiting for the talk to begin except for one person, Maha Kashyapa, who broke into a smile. The Buddha saw that and said, I have the eye treasury of the true Dharma, the marvelous mind of Nirvana, the true form of no form, the subtle gate of the Dharma. It does not depend on letters being specially transmitted outside all teachings. Now I entrust Mahakashyapa with this. So as a side note to this story, the details of this story cannot be verified or refuted, but in terms of practice, that really doesn't matter to us or shouldn't matter to us. And Besides, every seasoned practitioner can verify that the true meaning of this story, whether it happened or not, is very much alive today. Which is always comes down to today. So this mind-to-mind -mind transmission began with the Buddha and Mahakashyapa and then was passed on from teacher to disciple all the way to my own transmission. And I am, like all teachers before me, a link in this endless chain of our tradition. This is why Zen is considered a bloodline tradition. Being a part of such a tradition is on one level insignificant, yet on another level, it is a great privilege which comes with great responsibility to embody what the Buddha, Buddha called teachings of no teaching. And as I said this morning, it's not just my responsibility, as I mentioned, that it is up to each of us 
to embody or the way we say thank you for the tradition of those who came before us is through our own practice, through our own discipline, our own recognition, and our own realizations. So the Buddha described this as the true form of no form, the subtle gate of the Dharma, which does not depend on letters, being specially transmitted outside all teachings. And then about a thousand years later, these words were echoed by Buddha Dharma, who is known as the founder of the Zen tradition. So outside of words and letters, there's not a single letter that is needed in order for us to realize. Whether we know how to read or not is irrelevant. So although we maintain a structured practice and follow specific forms, along with study and recitation of ancient texts, what we practice is non-dogmatic, wide open, and free of any fixed positions. Having clarity about that allows Dharma teachers to express themselves uniquely and authentically based on the current time and culture while staying true to the original teachings of the Buddha. In other words, realization is realization. The way it manifests has to vary. And if it doesn't vary, it is as good as dead. So unique and authentic expression of the Dharma is not only the responsibility of a Dharma teacher or Dharma teachers, it is equally the responsibility of each practitioner as we take it on in the process of embracing and embodying the teaching. The tradition must manifest in a personal and non-dogmatic way. Otherwise, what is being passed on is just a lifeless shell. So the question is not what is Zen, but rather what is the living manifestation of Zen in each of you as a practitioner, regardless of whether you practice for one day or 40 years. Today, what is the living manifestation of Zen in your life? Do you copy and paste or are you devoted to awaken the Buddha within? Where is the you before you? How do we embody that? You know, my personal journey whether it's Zen or Aikido, I was fortunate to get exposed to a lot of great teachers in both traditions. And over the years, I've taken a lot. Uh, I've, I was able to see through my own barriers, breakthrough barriers, still breaking through barriers. But what happened over time, or what, what should happen over time, is that everything we, ex we are exposed to needs to be dropped away, needs to be let go of. And it needs to be a pointer 
to us, to our own lives, to our own practice, to our own breath. Nobody can breathe for you. Nobody has ever done that for you or can do that for you. Nobody can walk for you. How does Zen manifest in our lives? So over time, over the years, my practice has changed. It is changing. It is becoming something new, something different. Somebody was saying the other day at the dojo that uh, he has noticed that my Aikido has changed. And I responded by saying, it is always changing. Even if it seems the same, it is always changing. And if it's not changing, the tradition dies. If it's not moving with you, same, the tradition will die. The Zen tradition is only a tradition through your practice, through us coming together, upholding the practice, supporting each other. And we are not concerned with the way things were back then. We are concerned with this, or this should be our concern. What about this? Am I awakened to this? What I mentioned this morning is that you are the link between what was and what will be. So since you are the link with, between those two, then what was doesn't matter. What will be doesn't matter. Or another way to say that, what was and what will be matter greatly right now. Only right now. And gratitude to the lineage must manifest in our own authentic and alive practice. We would not be here, it's good to recognize that we would not be here if all the teachers before us did not preserve this wisdom tradition through their own embodiment and through their own commitment to share it tirelessly with anyone, everyone. And, and also to cultivate successors who will keep doing the same. And sometimes people ask why the word love is not mentioned often in ancient texts or traditional Zen literature. But when you look deeply at the way that this Dharma has been studied, maintained, and passed on from one generation to another, from one teacher to student, you see nothing but love, care, and compassion. It's all about this. It's all about now. Can love be found elsewhere? Is there any other place to love or to express love? We cannot love in the past. We cannot love in the future. We cannot practice in the past. We cannot practice in the future. It comes down to this. Are we concerned with this or are we concerned with ourselves?
to this love, this expression, this is where the pointer to this koan begins. Sometimes, out of loyalty, one drives oneself to unspeakable hardship. Sometimes, when disaster befalls, one other man failed to get the point. Humbly stooping down at the time of departure, his last moments are utterly kind. Tears flowing forth from his tender heart are still more difficult to hide. However, is there someone here with cool eyes? Is there someone here right now who can echo that clearly, fully? How do we hear this? How do we connect with this? What does it mean for us? And the pointer is describing lupus, lupus, dedication and loyalty to the Dharma. And his, his willingness to push his disciples all the way up until his last breath. The tears flowing forth are not expressing sadness of his own mortality. He's at peace with that. But he's concerned with us, human beings, in future generations or future practitioners. So he's looking for somebody or someone with cool and clear eyes who can carry the lamp forward after he dies. Lupu was a 9th century Chinese Zen master and uh, a Dharma successor of Linji, actually, who later on went to study under Jiaxian in the Soto tradition and then became his successor as well and ended up continuing that lineage. While he was with Linji, Linji once praised him before the Sangha, saying, Here is an error of the Linji school. Who dares to withstand its point? And there's a story when Lupu was acting as Linji's attendant, a scriptural master came to meet with Linji. Linji is Rinzai, for those who don't know. Linji asked the scriptural master, Is there a person who understands the three vehicles and twelve divisions of scriptures? And there is, if there is a person who understands the three vehicles and twelve divisions of scriptures, and there is another person who does not understand the three vehicles and twelve divisions of scriptures, then do you say these two people are the same or different? The scriptural master said, what they understand is the same. What they don't understand is different. Lupu heard that and interjected, how can you say such a thing, talking about same and different? Linji looked at Lupu and said, what are you doing? Lupu then shouted, ha! Linji sent away the scriptural master, then asked Lupu, do you think it's appropriate to shout at me? Lupu said, yes. Linji then hit him. Some years later, when Lupu prepared to leave Linji, Linji asked him, where are you going? And Lupu said, 
I'm going south. Linji took his staff and drew a circle in the air. Then he said, pass through this and then you can go. Lupu shouted again. Linji hit him again. Lupu bowed and left. That shouting and hitting, that is approval. That is you're ready to go. You're not borrowing anymore. You're not relying on my practice. You're not shouting my shout. You can go. The next day, Linji entered the hall and said, Beneath the gate of Linji is a red-tailed cop. Shaking its head and wag wagging its tail, it goes south. I don't know in whose pickled vegetable pot it will drown. Sometimes you feel like you need a dictionary to hear this, to understand these words. But don't go to the mind. You will get further confused. Go to, your, to the gut. Go to the hala. Ask there what that means. So Lupu went to Jiaxian, staying in the monastery for a while, and after receiving Dharma transmission, he stuck around to serve the teacher and the Sangha. When his teacher, Jiaxian, was about to die, he said, The Shitu branch, look, look, the last teacher passes away. And Lupu said, Not so. Jiaxian said, Why? Lupu said, his house has a green mountain. Jashan said, if indeed that's so, then my teaching will not collapse. Jashan then passed away. Most important or more important than my own life, which is ending, he said. Will that continue? Will you continue after? Then he said, yes, my teaching will not collapse. And in this koan, it is Lupu, which who is on his deathbed, continuing what he received, or wishing to continue what he received, looking to see which, which of his followers or disciples will carry the lamp of his dharma after he dies. And so he addresses his disciples and says, now I have one matter, one matter. It's always one matter. One matter to ask you about. If you approve this, if you approve this, this, capital T, you are putting another head on top of your own head. But if you disapprove this, you are seeking life by cutting off your head. And the footnote says, this won't do, not this won't do either. There is no escape. Even when we escape, we can't escape. So those are the words he uttered, the last words. And Confucius said, when the bird is about to die, its song touches the heart. 
When a man is about to die, his words are of note. In other words, pay attention. Thereupon, the head monk said, The green mountain always raises its leg. In bright daylight, you do not raise a torch. Lupus called at him. What occasion is this that you should say such a thing? The words are good. The words are to the point. Do they fit the occasion of the teacher dying? Is that fitting? Does it work at that moment? Of course, the green mountain always raises its leg. What, is, what seems fixed is always in motion. What seems separated and segmented is always one. And in bright daylight, it's always obvious. It, capital I, capital T, is always available. In broad daylight, what's the point of walking around with a flashlight? Which is exactly what we do. We walk around in broad daylight, making sure that we have batteries in the flashlight because we can't see anything. How could it be right in front of our eyes? How is that possible, we think? What would you say at such a moment? How would you deal with such a question? You know, the four propositions and hundred negations. This will not do, not this will not do either. Four propositions are is, is not, both is and is not, neither is nor is not. And the hundred negations are the million trillion ways we think about it and we argue about it. It. A million ways we maneuver, maneuver around what we are looking for. We are in it all the time, yet searching for it, talking about it, comparing, analyzing, chopping up. It will not do, not it will not do. What would you do? What is your way out? Then Mongenju, after the other monk spoke, Mongenju stepped forward and said, Leaving aside these two roads, please, Master, do not question. Now that is good, right? Please. Don't bring it up. What happens when we bring up a question? We think we need to answer it. We think that there is a question. Please, don't bring it up. Please, let us all be here. Intimately connect to each other at this difficult time for the Sangha, for the congregation, gathering around the teacher. 
So please, don't bring it up. And Lupo replied, Partly, but say some more. And the footnote here says, Poems must be recited twice to see their worth. Right? This is a poke. Ah, there's something here. Okay. Go ahead. Say some more. Or say it in another way. You know, sometimes we give an answer to a Quran and then we may hear, good. Now, can you say it in another way? Meaning, can you say it now? Because what you said is gone. Say it now. Is it in your head or is it in your body? If it's in the head, we got to go back. If it's in the body, is the body anywhere else other than here? Can it be anywhere else? Can it reflect anything else other than this moment? Genju admitted, I cannot say it all. And Lupu said, I don't care if you can say it all or not. Now, I can't say it all is good. Who can? And what happens when we say it all? That's it? Everything is concluded? We wrap it up? Pack it up? Go where? Who can say it all? Who needs to say it all? Maybe that's a better question. Genju said, after that, being your attendant, it's hard for me to reply. So why didn't he say it all? Was he being respectful to his teacher? Or was he at a lo at loss for words to reply fittingly? What kind of I can't say it all? And why did Lupu say, I don't care if you can say it all or not? In fact, by saying, I don't care, he was expressing the deepest level of compassion to his disciple. It's not, I don't care about you. I care about you. So I don't mind whether you think you can say it all or not. Just say, please. But unfortunately, Genju was blind to this kind of compassion. But it didn't end there. Later on that evening, Lupu invited Genju to his room and said, Your response today makes very good sense. You should experience what my late master said. Before the eyes, no Dharma. Mind is before the eyes. Now this, it's not Dharma before the eyes. It is something that ear and eye cannot reach. In that, in what you just heard, which phrase is guest and which phrase is host? If you can make the distinction, I will hand over the ball and robe. And the footnote says, holding the stick, he calls the dog.
Now, handing over the ball was a symbol of Dharma transmission, which was passed on from a teacher to a student. Yamada Kun commented on this exchange by saying that Lupu was willing to give away the Dharma at a bargain price at this point. He kept trying and trying and trying. Now, guest and host refer to the two, to two inseparable aspects of reality, the relative and the absolute, sameness and differences, the timed provisional self and the timelessness in which she manifests. The guest is the objective world, the host is the subjective world. And these two aspects of reality are fundamental to Buddhist teachings which the practice and teachings are always referring to. So it's a quite a reasonable question to ask a seasoned practitioner. Which is the host? Which is the guest? When you remove the host, where is the guest? When you remove the guest, where is the host? There's a story about the monk who was traveling and he ended up at this palace and he knocks on the door and he asks to see the king. And when he sees the king, he's asking, can I stay at this hotel tonight? And the king looked at him, mad. What are you talking about? This is not a hotel. It's a palace. And he said, please explain yourself or I will chop your head off. And the monk said, okay, I will explain. Who lived here before you? And the king said, well, my father. Where is your father? Well, he died. Who lived here before your father? His father. Where is he? He passed away. And then the monk said, well, then this place where people come and stay for a while and move on, isn't that a hotel? What is this? What is this and what is, who is the one moving through this? Do we understand? Do we understand? So Genju said, I don't know. And Lupu said, you should know. And Genju said, I really don't know. And then Lupu ended it cuttingly. Tough, isn't it? Tough, isn't it? I don't know. I really don't know. There are different ways to not know. You can say I don't know in reference to the known. When I ask somebody for directions to the nearest coffee shop. Or you can say I don't know in reference to the unknowable and then remain equanimous. And the difference is night and day. Which one of these two Genji referred to when he said, I don't know? Was he confused? Or was he at peace? I don't know and I need to know. It's not the same as, I don't know. And that's fine. It's just fine. 
Then Genju asked for further clarification and said, Master, how about you? Lupu said, The boat of compassion is not rowed over pure waves. It's been wasted labor releasing wooden goose down the precipitous strait. A wooden goose is a piece of wood that was sent down the rapids to determine the turbulence of the water so then the boaters can figure out a safe path through the rapids. So it served a purpose. But it's waste. Why is it a waste of time? Who is going to practice for you? Are we going to stick our finger in the wind or toes in the water, check the temperature, think about it, talk about it? Or are we going to practice in this body today within the reality that we live in, with the many challenges that we face? Or are we going to send someone or something to do that for us? An ancient master said, if you want to support the gate and sustain the house, you must climb a mountain of souls with bare feet. Now who wants to do that? Of course we don't. But that's what it takes. That's what it takes to keep this practice alive. What does that mean? To climb a mountain of souls with bare feet. What else can it mean other than to fully and wholeheartedly embrace our lives? Wholeheartedly embrace our lives, including the karma that we work with including the moments of despair and the moments of joy and the dread of dying, all of it, to face it fully is to climb a mountain of souls with bare feet. That's what it means. So what if we say, I don't want to do that? The hell with that. Who wants to climb a mountain of souls with bare feet? What is the alternative? Quit. Quit what? Who can quit? The other day, somebody came to class, Aikido class, and at the end of class, I was struggling through class. At the end of class, he looked at me and said, today I should not have come to class. That was a terrible class. I did really, really poorly. And I said, no, today is the most important day for you to come to class. There is no better day to come to class. But I want to come knowing it all. I don't want to fall down. I don't want to trip. I don't want to look like a fool. Well, how can we expand? How can we learn anything? How can we deepen? How can we break through anything if we're unwilling 
to face difficulties and challenges with open arms. How can we expand? How can we get anywhere with a pra any practice? What Lupu is telling us is not to expect to be propelled to realization and skip the challenges of everyday practice or everyday life. He's telling us to not create a part-time version of practice and be content with only dipping our toes in the water. He's telling us we need to find the courage to jump, to jump into the water or into the abyss with no guarantee of a safety net. And trust, and trust that practice, this practice has awakened many human beings before us. That's why we have a practice. Because many before us went through their own challenges, realized that it is none other than this realized it, embodied it, shared it with everybody or anybody who would listen, anybody who would be willing to sustain their practice. As in the saying, you see for yourself. You see for yourself. So at this point of the dialogue, Lupo has spilled out his guts and exposed it all, but apparently to no avail. So he's parting this world with one last teachings offered to Genju and to all of us. This is why, going back to what Confucius says, when a person is about to die, words are of note. We should pay attention. But aren't we all just about to die? Isn't that always the case? Right? One year, five years, 50 years, 70 years. We should pay attention regardless of what we think will happen later. We should pay attention now. That's why Lupus said, you should know. You should pay attention. The verse says, with clouds as bait and moon as hook, he fishes in pure water, burdened with years solitary and hard, and no fish yet. In the commentary says, an ancient used a rainbow as a pole, the new moon as a hook, a piece of cloud for bait. In the clear water, one can thus pole the boat of compassion. And the boat of compassion is not rowed over clear water. It is in the midst of our everyday life. It is it happens while, or we practice while being bombarded with many challenges, daily, moment by moment. That's why 
it's not, compassion is not found outside of everyday challenges. Or we should say Zen practice is not found out anywhere else other than in that. So this is the poem. This is a poetic way to express Lupus' deep level of attainment as he tries to share the Dharma with his disciple, even after years of being tirelessly devoted to the teaching. Then it says, after the tune, Rizo dies away. On the river Bakira, a lone man awakens. And this is referring to an old story of a poet he was also a high official by the name Ku in the kingdom of Su. Due to some false accusations, he was exiled to another district. And he was being heartbroken. He walked along the Bakida River and he happened to encounter a fisherman who asked him what he was doing there. In reply, he said, all the world is drunk. I alone am sober. All the world is polluted. I alone am pure. Upon saying this, he plunged into the river and drowned. Now this is not meant to be a sad story. But it is meant to awaken us to that purity within. All the world is drunk. All the world is Drunk, but all the world is sober too. All the world is polluted, but all the world is pure as well. So Lupu passed away, and based on the records, it doesn't look like Genju got the point. But Lupu did have 11 successors. And Genju was not one of them. So all of it, all of it comes down to what does it mean to appreciate being a part of a tradition? Does it mean anything for you, for each of you? For me personally, it is deeply meaningful it is fueling my practice. It is fueling my devotion every day. I feel supported by 2,500 years of tradition. So that's the support. But it's not enough to be supported. So we are supported by that, but we are encouraged to do the same, to awaken to practice, to turn towards rather than away, to embrace rather than reject, to love rather than hate, to love it all, all of it, and everyone we share this with, to love it all. So I want to finish with uh, Maizumi's Roshi, Maizumi Roshi's last verse that he gave to Tetsugen Roshi on Inca. He said, The Dharma of thusness has been intimately conveyed from Buddhas and ancestors. 
It has been transmitted generation after generation down to me. To complete or not to complete is of no, no consequence. Enlightenment above enlightenment, delusion within delusion, is also of no consequence. Manifest, Genjo Koan, and Genjo Koan means actualizing the fundamental point. Play freely and in inward and outward, fulfilling samadhi. Maintain and nourish the one Buddha mind seal. Life after life, rebirth after rebirth, practice diligently, do not regress. Do not let the wisdom seed of the Buddhas and ancestors be discontinued. Thus I deeply implore you. Do not let the wisdom seed of the Buddhas and ancestors be discontinued. And it can be discontinued. Maybe this is something we need to hear. Keep in mind. This can end with us or continue with us. And it is more likely to continue with us if we become a little bit less self-concerned and more other concern. More concern with the well-being of other people and this planet than, than self-concernness. So, to complete or not to complete is of no consequence. Whether we think we get it or not, it doesn't matter. I don't understand koans. So what? Keep going. It's not about getting anywhere with this. It's not about achieving anything. It's not about not being frustrated as well. So we get frustrated. Big deal. So what? If we are self-concerned, that's a big issue. Because I don't get it. And I want to get it. And I'm frustrated. But this is not about us as separated from each other. It's about us as one with all beings. That's the big guy. So, as Maizumi Roshi says, thus I implore you. Thank you.